My name is Bob Genheimer. I am the George Rebusel Curator of Archaeology at the Cincinnati Museum Center, and you are listening to the Woodhenge Podcast. Welcome to episode 13 of the Woodhenge Podcast. I'm Mr. Desectus. And I'm Ms. Frederick. This episode's a little different. It's we, so uh, cool. This one's cool. This has been fun. This has been one that we have talked about since August mm-hmm. um, as we as we kind of embarked on this journey. And the name, um, the name is unique, and we mm-hmm. knew it was unique. And if you do some research on it, um, you'll find some stuff. But we found a guy who knows more than some stuff. Yeah. Um, and we're going to chat with him just here, here in a couple minutes. Um, what hinges? Stonehenge. Yeah. I mean, Stonehenge. It's it's its own deal, and I think now is probably a good time to start the conversation about why this has been what it's been. We've done twelve episodes. We've talked to so many cool people. Mm-hmm. I still talk to Miss Sanders about all the weird jobs she's had. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Harleman had some fun some fun things that we talked to him about. Yeah. Mason being the little home chef that he is. Yeah. Like um, a lot I mean, of our students just being wonderful people and prepping for different aspects of their lives whether they're coming in from different states or different countries yeah. like we've gotten some awesome awesome stories yeah. and it started with an idea to essentially unearth the different things that are in this building mm-hmm. um, it was a conversation that happened some some last year and then kind of said hey let's just do it and see what happens yeah um, and as we're trying to figure out a name i do have to give some credit uh to mr barnhart who helped kind of craft that idea of the Woodhenge because I think some people had known about it. I think a lot of people didn't, but if you knew, you knew. And if you listen to this episode today, you're, you're going to know. Oh yeah. Um, I'll just preface with this because I kind of say it while we're interviewing our awesome interviewee, um, Bob, but like a lot of people who go to little Miami, who went to little Miami, who even teach there, knew a rumor or thought it was like a ghost story, if you will, that Little Miami was uh, buried. No, Uh, Little Miami was uh, built on top of a Native American burial ground and honestly learned it's not actually far off at all, Um, which is so cool to like actually learn about after being from here and then teaching here and then you know, hearing that ghost story. So when you approached me and you said, oh yeah, it's called Woodhenge. I was like, wait a second. Like, like those things that everybody's been like joking about for, I don't know, the past like 20, 30 years, <laughs> that's real. And you were like, yeah, but now we have an expert who's going to actually talk to us about the meaning behind our podcast with a more historical context. So it's a very historical, it's so it's a very cool. historical context. So in the same way that the Woodhenge underneath the football stadium was unearthed, you and I are digging into the stories of the building, mm-hmm. whether it's students or staff. Yeah. Um, and I know we still have some people we want to talk to. I still think oh there's God, some yeah. some low hanging fruit out there as we've we've been able to pull in and um, you know we're in this home stretch before Christmas break. I think we still have a couple left in us before we break. And second semester schedules are a little different, so we'll we'll kind of juggle Figure that out, and yeah. see. And see what we can do, but we wanted to make sure to get this in, to get this out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is this is something that's going to get sent around. I, I think I this think one, so. the, mm-hmm. the distribution on this one for me, I think is a little different, just because of of everything that we talked about mm-hmm. and everything that 
that our guest had to tell us. Because like you, I've heard a lot of the rumors and right. I dug in to research it. Um, and there wasn't a lot outside mm-hmm. of like really academic papers. And if if you've been in my room or had more than a conversation with me, <laughs> I'm not a very academic person. Uh, I don't I don't call that light reading. I just call that no reading. Um, mm-hmm. I'm here for the pictures and there's not really pictures of it. Mm-hmm. So our guest today um, is Bob Genheimer, who he's going to talk to us a little bit about his story. But I think the biggest background that, that's that's most relevant here is that he is one of the ones who was not one of the ones. He was like the yeah. lead guy yeah. um, in uncovering the stuff that is under the ground where our high school sits now and our region coming down from Fort Ancient down towards Cincinnati, as well as the stuff in Cincinnati. Um, I got to give a quick shout out to some of the folks at Fort Ancient who were super, super helpful. Um, This is something we've been working on for a couple of weeks, trying to get in touch with somebody and find somebody. An expert. Find an expert. Seriously, wild. And the the folks at Ohio History Connection were great. Get me set up with Bob. He's he was awesome. He was great to get things mm-hmm. set up with, uh, and he has some awesome insight. So I don't know that there's anything more that you and I can say to preface this, other than like this was really cool. Yeah, it was, it was beyond enlightening, and it just again goes to show I don't know how important just education is. Continually being a learner, like. I felt that way at least. I felt like I was sitting in a my freshman lecture class or something or in, you know, uh, Mr. Skidmore's class listening to a, a lecture and being like, wow, this is – it's new. It's cool. And that's what, how I felt when Bob was talking. I just was enraptured. It was I was taking amazing. notes. I know. Like I, know. I, I, don't, I don't know what – I was putting on my phone. I was like, okay, I'm going to look this up and look this up. Yes. I can't wait to do like a, a deep dive tonight yeah, or a little, some taco like, a little, soup. A little post-eval mm-hmm. here of like everything that he gave us. It's, I think it's truly fascinating. I mean, I'm a bit of a history nerd anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so to be able to dive into this is is super, super cool. Yeah. So again, I don't think there's anything more we can really say no, to, to preface good. this. Here comes episode 13, Bob Genheimer, um, an archaeologist, good dude. Um, and a fan of our podcast name, apparently. Yeah, uh, apparently, and a really great speaker. Yes. So, yeah. Yes. So, without further ado, here's episode 13. Bob Genheimer, you're listening to the Woodhenge Podcast. Sweet. Well, thanks so much for, for taking some time to chat with us. Uh, Bob, how did you get into all of this? How did you get into kind of the, the research and stuff of, like, I guess the, the archaeology, how did that start off for you? Oh, um, when I was a child, I knew I was always interested in the past. I used to walk through the woods and see old foundations and, and I'd collect old bottles, take them home. My mother would throw them out and I'd bring more back. And, uh, it was sort of a game with me when I was a child. I, I was like, I didn't know what to call it. I didn't know it was an archaeologist, but it was like, I was the only one who could interpret these things. So I was I was special, you know, that when you're a child, when you feel special, that's that's a really cool thing. So uh, so I when I got to the University of Cincinnati, um, again, I knew I was interested in the past. So I I took intro courses to history and to anthropology where archaeology is taught. And um, I always tell people I don't remember the history courses, but I do remember the archaeology stuff. And um, and it was that point that I realized what I really wanted to do was get my hands dirty and work outside. And that's, that's how it all got started. Oh God, that's so cool. 
Oh my goodness. Is there a specific project that really, uh, I guess, created your foundation for, I don't know, deeply loving uh, this kind of like historical aspect of unearthing things? Yeah, I, I would uh, say that one of my first loves was what we call historical archaeology. And that's like, it's also referred to the archaeology of us. Uh, when you're doing the pre-contact stuff or the prehistoric stuff, as it's sometimes called, it's uh, that's Native Americans. I'm not an indigenous person, uh, but I think when you wed history with archaeology, it's a lot cooler. So I have done some major projects uh, in downtown Cincinnati, for instance, uh, excavating 19th century outhouse shafts uh, that contain these like sealed stratified records of the people who live there, what they threw away. And the cool thing about this is you can look it up as opposed to uh, archaeology of the Native American stuff. You can go to books and references, look this stuff up because people collect these things. So if I have a bottle that's embossed, I, I, I can find out when it was made. Um, I can go to city directories. I can look at census stuff. So the historical archaeology to me has always been my first love. Now, I don't get to do it that often. I've spent most of my time uh, doing the pre-contact Native American stuff. So one of the big things here at Little Miami just is the tie-in with um, some of the ancient cultures that were here. I know a lot's been made of like the Hopo people. Um, we want to specifically ask you about the the Woodhenge stuff, but what can you tell us kind of about the people that roamed this land um, and that were in this region long before we ever set foot here? Uh, well, the Hopewell, uh, it, it's not a tribal name. It's just a culture that archaeologists have come up with. It's actually named uh, for a white person who lived near Chillicothe. So it's not an indigenous term but it's the sort of term that we have, uh, and that's what we are using. Um, so this area here that you're in Warren County um, is sort of an odd stretch uh, of the of the river there, the Little Miami River, and it's going east-west and uh, past that to the north and the south. It's going uh, it's going in a north-south direction. You're in an east-west. It has these enormous of um, um, uh, deposits of uh, Illinois and Wisconsin um, uh, glacial material, which, which forms those big, broad black terraces on which your high school is sitting on. Those are the kind of places that these earthworks were placed onto. Um, so Stubbs Earthworks uh, was, uh, was known very early. It was mapped by Charles Whittlesey in 1839. Although um, if you look at his map, and I'm sure you guys have seen one, uh, it, it, it is sort of an open square and an open circle tied together, a very large what we call geometric earthwork, but his mm -hmm. other landform features and so forth suggest that it's not totally accurate to what the actual landscape is. Uh, in fact, he admits doing it during a snowstorm, surveying it during a snowstorm. So it has some, <laughs> you know, it, it's not perfect, but it, it gives us an idea what's there. Unfortunately, it was never touched professionally until about 130 years later in like 1970 when I and some other archaeologists got involved with it. We were trying to record sites before they were destroyed. And when we got there, there was no high school. It was just all open fields. In fact, the area to the north of uh, Montgomery Road or 22 was also not, um, it, it wasn't graveled away yet. So it was a totally different place. And you could walk those fields and they were absolutely full of stuff that dates to the Hopewell period including uh, exotic raw materials like flint from Indiana, 
uh, flint from uh, um, east of Columbus, uh, obsidian from Yellowstone National Park. Uh, wow. We have flint from Wyoming. There are uh, all sorts. There's copper from Lake Superior. So a lot of stuff was being brought down to these sites, and there are a number of these uh, earthwork sites. These, this one's called a geometric earthwork. Uh, there's one, uh, the big one down in Hamilton County, near Cincinnati. Obviously, you guys know just right up the river from U.S. Fort Ancient, mm -hmm. uh, which is another uh, earthwork. It's not a geometric one, but it's a hilltop enclosure. Uh, so these are all over the place. The biggest ones and the best ones you can find are in the Chillicothe area uh, on the, uh, the Scioto River. Uh, so you can look those up and, and see those. But uh, by the time we got there, there was nothing visible left of the earthwork. But there were mounds there. Uh, so um, the area um, right about where your high school main building is situated, there was a large effigy mound there uh, underneath that. Uh, there's also a remnant of a mound still there, I believe, in a drive at the north, um, uh, excuse me, northwest side of the high school. Um, and uh, the Woodhenge, which you guys uh, talk about, and which is the name of your podcast, um, is was situated about where your the stadium is to the south of the uh, of the uh, high school. Uh, so, if, so if you can plot them up now, that one actually shows on Whittlesey's map as a a big circle, but it had an opening. It was more like a C. Um, but um, that that what we what is referred to as a woodhenge um, or a post circle, some people call it. Um, it's also referred to as the Stubbs Great Post Circle. Um, it's one of the biggest ones in the U.S. Um, it is bigger than the Moorhead Circle, which is up at Fort, Fort Ancient. So it, it had, um, how many posts did this had? Uh, it had a bunch of them, 172 large posts, telephone pole-sized posts going around in a perfect circle. Um, that was 73 meters in diameter, which is 240 feet. So almost, you know, getting close to the length of the football field. Um, so it took days and days and days to expose those posts with tobacco going around. And uh, some people had suggested, well, you were just kind of making this up. And But you can't, if I asked you to form a circle on the ground that was 240 foot wide, you couldn't do it. It wouldn't look like a circle. Your brain doesn't work that way. So this this thing was exposed, um, and uh, we got radiocarbon dates out of it. Uh, so the dates tend to look like it's the end of the second century into the third century A.D. Uh, so seventeen, eighteen hundred years ago, oh um, the, that stuff was there. Now, the whole Hopewell period is only about. 300 to 400 years uh, around that time. So we know it all has to date uh, to that time period. Um, lots of other houses were found there as well. So when I say houses, we're looking at the footprints of the houses. So um, they have posts, wooden posts in the ground. And those posts will leave um, a remnant. So there'll be a circle with darker soil in it. And you can scrape down the soil and you can map them out. And you can see the pattern. So there are circular houses, the rectangular houses, square houses, um, crescent-shaped structures. Most of them look appear to be temporary, as if they were temporary housing uh, for people visiting there or craftspeople making things. 
Uh, they don't look really, really permanent. And the Hopo folks were not agriculturalists. They didn't have maize, or at least not any maize in any sense that would allow them uh, to subsist uh, pretty much on that. Uh, so they're hunters and gatherers, fisher, fishermen, people, you know, things like that. So although they were starting to um, affect um, the evolution and change of certain plants, um, mostly starchy and oily seeds, uh, mm. which we don't eat today, but uh, they did back then. So they were starting to learn how you can actually modify these plants uh, so you get bigger seeds or bigger things. and they would plant those as well. So um, it's very, very interesting stuff. Um, we spent years there beginning in the 70s uh, all the way up through 2003, maybe 2004. Wow. Right, We were there right before the dozers came in to construct the high school. Uh, we actually got them to give us a couple extra weeks, if I remember. When it when it was constructed, so um, yeah, it's it it's it's a really cool site. Uh, we had a lot of fun doing it, um, and all that exotic raw material is pretty neat to see. Is is everything pretty much as it was left? You guys were able to expose it, grab some samples, and then did it basically just get covered back up, and they started putting the building together. Well, some of the areas weren't impacted but areas like where the building are yes anything there would have been destroyed um i doubt whether there's anything left of the wood hands although those posts did go very very deep um but there are other things uh to the east of you before the landform starts to slope back up a little bit there there was a lot of houses over there and i'm not really sure what's there today uh what has happened to that um yeah uh, also, stuff extends across Kazathiel Road to the west. It was on the uplands overlooking the valley there, where there's now a subdivision uh, that goes up on top of that hill there. In fact, um, uh, the Ohio History Connection in Columbus did a, a um, they had commissioned an artist to do four paintings that represented Native Americans. And the one for Hopewell was actually. It, the viewpoint is from that top of that hill overlooking stubs. And in the distance, you can see the earthworks. That's where your high school essentially is today. Wow. Uh, and if, if you look, the, if the book is called uh, Ohio Archaeology, it was, it was done by Brad Leppard, Ohio History Connection. Um, if you can get a copy of it, you might have a copy in your library. You should because it has that image which looks right down to where your high school uh, is today. That is so cool. Um, do we know what the wood henches were for? Um, we don't know precisely what they're used for. We know that they're not enclosed. They're certainly not roofed. Nobody's going to roof something 230 foot in diameter without any right. other posts in between. Um, we think, as a, many of these things are, like the earthworks and so forth, they are sacred areas, and when, it's like walking into the doors of a church. When you walk in, you're on sacred ground. Um, so if you go into uh, this circle, there are probably some ceremonies and so forth. So ethnographically, in, or I, I should say ethno-historically in the U.S., there are, um, there, there are a couple places where you have seen these post circles being used for ceremonies and things. Um, and so they're fairly common. 
the, although this one at Stubbs is really big. Oh, uh, there's only one that I know. Of. There's one at Cahokia, I believe, is it is bigger, uh, and uh, right in you know, in Illinois, just opposite St. Louis. Uh, there's one there. I think that one's a little bigger, but they tend to be a little smaller. But this one is really, really big. Hmm. Uh, and I wish I could tell you exactly what goes on there, but you don't. One of the things about these sites is they're relatively clean, except for what's in the plow zone. A lot of the material we got was what we call in the plow zone, that upper 10 inches or a foot where it's churned up. Um, below that, mostly we have just these posts. Um, so they are relatively clean things. Now, there was another site to the east of you on that landform that goes up um, that produced a lot of it, had produced a lot of obsidian and uh, crystal quartz. Uh, in fact, there was caches of clear crystal quartz and obsidian up there as well. Uh, so these are obviously very important sites, these Hopewell folks, um, and they probably represent communities in the whole central part of the Little Miami River. And they're almost mm -hmm. certainly related to what's going on at Fort Ancient and down at the Turner Earthworks in Cincinnati as well. Um, so um, yeah, it's, it's really worth seeing. I don't know what that you guys actually show about it up at the high school. I don't think I've ever been in the school, um, but you clearly should have something to show what was there. Well, if you ever decide to make a trip up, we would be more than happy to host you and show you around, though it obviously is okay. going to look significantly different than it did the last time um, The last time you were here. Because I, I, it's something that I've heard people talk about, but I think you're the first person we've been able to talk to that goes like, yes, this is a thing. I saw a couple of little articles online, but we really haven't been able to have anybody kind of dive into it at all, let alone to the level that you have. Um, but I imagine that's what happens when you're kind of the one who who started to dig all this up. Mm -hmm. um, so what is it what is it like for you now to know that this stuff is here, but they're kind of building anyway? Uh, well, I mean, we we can't stop progress. We can't stop things from happening. Uh, luckily, we got in in time to, to salvage a lot of what was there, um, and some of that was just serendipity. Um, you know, just like actually the finding of that woodhenge was serendipity. They had a backhoe that they were using. They had dug a transect um, about you know ten foot wide by 150 feet, but they didn't intersect it. And they were going to send the backhoe operator home for the day. And one of them says, "Well, let's just let them." go over here and he didn't want more and all of a sudden he hit one big post and another and another and they realized that it was in an arc and then for the next five days they were digging those posts taking samples and so forth um it it, it was pretty much amazing if they'd have been over a, another two feet they never would have seen it in the first place <laughs> never never would have saw it because the high school was going to be built within the next month so, oh my gosh. Sometimes it's just dumb luck. You know, <laughs> doesn't matter how much remote sensing you do or what else, it's sometimes it's just luck. So yeah. So it was like, so you guys knew there was stuff here, but didn't know it to that extent. And this is just kind of an accident that we've gotten to the point we're at now. Yeah, to find that wood hinge. Now the rest of it we knew was there. Um there's also something too uh, on the other side of uh 22 down to the west a bit there was another earthwork as part of this complex it looks like a w on whittlesey's 1839 map um 
And, and then years later into the 20th century, it became known as the Warren County Serpent Mound. Yeah. And you can look it up, but it, it, if you look at some of the original drawings and stuff and you compare, there are some aerials of it before it was graveled away. Uh, we pretty much think that it was modified to look like a serpent by those who wanted it to be a serpent. Um, but if, if you look in the literature, it's like, you know, uh, new serpent mound in Ohio and another one, next one will be no new serpent mound in Ohio. Uh, so it's, it's who you want to believe. But uh, the short answer to that is it's gone. That was graveled away, um, I believe, in the 40s, early 50s, early 50s, somewhere in there. So it's completely gone. These also these sites also extend on the other side of the river, uh, up near South Lebanon, as well. Uh, those big bottoms down there, those hopeful sites are down there. We don't have any evidence of mounds or earthworks in there, but the sites with this exotic raw material are still down there as well. Um, for those who don't know what earthworks is, like, could you describe what it is for those who are like? just now listening haven't looked into this like nick and i have like psychopaths um <laughs> uh, so uh earthworks are essentially just what they say they're they're mounding up earth into form so uh a mound is actually an earthwork we usually use the word earthwork to refer to something that's geometric or linear or follows the edge of a slope something like that it's more more akin to a berm or a wall so if you go up to Fort Ancient, those those embankment walls that you see, embankment's another good word if you want to use that. Those walls, some of those are large. So um, that was soil that was just mounted up over a long time to produce that. And what they're doing is enclosing the space. And I think there's 80-something gateways at Fort Ancient as well. There are ponds that were built there. So, so they're controlling for not just soil, but water as well. Uh, so they're really complex and they, it really um, goes to the genius of these folks. They understood astronomy. They understood math. They understood all this sort of stuff that we say we would think, oh, they didn't know those things. But they did. These are people who knew the moon and the stars and the sun really well, particularly the moon. The lunar cycle is only 18.6 years. They knew that cycle. They knew where it moved back and forth. And there are earthworks such up at Newark, Ohio, where that moonrise every 18.6 years will line up through this geometric earthwork. So they understood astronomy really well. And what they were doing was essentially building their cosmos on the ground. And you could view it from higher points. Um, so um, these guys were pretty bright. And we're, it's taken us forever to learn just how bright these indigenous folks were. So, you, so cool. the the one that we've mainly been talking about here, um, right in our region, it's old, really, really old. Do we know where they went when they kind of vacated or why? I, I was at Mesa Verde this summer and they kind of said, yeah, they just peaced out and we're still figuring it out. Do we do we know anything about what happened after that point? Uh, well, the Hopewell stuff itself sort of ends. And by that, I mean... Uh, the construction of the large earthworks and the exotic raw materials, that sort of trade network. But the people stay, um, and uh, we have later sites. And it's, that's referred to as the woodland period. Um, after them is the late woodland, and they started, they start really experimenting with plants, 
Um, they start living in what we may call villages or clusters of houses. And by 1000 AD or 1100 AD, we have uh, fairly sizable agricultural villages uh, all over the Midwest. Uh, so when maize came up here out of the Southwest or from Mesoamerica, the maize gave them the ability to stay in one place for much of the year. They still hunted and fished and gathered. Um, but if they had a good crop of corn, they could live together in larger groups. And that came with its own issues. Uh, when you live together, you have to learn how to get along with each other. Uh, then you have disease is more of an issue. So, you know, they had to cope with a lot of things. And they were all still here when uh, Europeans uh, arrived. Um, they were here and um, there were conflicts and um, eventually they were moved out. It's not a pretty history in Ohio on the removal of indigenous folks. Uh, some of them left. They saw the writing on the wall. Some of them tried to stay. It wasn't successful. Some of them were forcibly removed, like the Miami, who were actually marched through Ohio and put on a, on a steamboat in Cincinnati and sent, uh, sent to Kansas. Uh, so it's not a pretty part of American history. Uh, they were pretty much moved out. So today, we, we deal with them all the time. We have uh, 18 indigenous partners at the Cincinnati Museum Center. Um, that includes all three Shawnee tribes, the Miami, uh, a whole bunch of others. And we talk to them about everything, about where their ancestors are going back, about exhibit work, all sorts of things. Um, so it's a whole new world than when I started doing archaeology back in the 1970s. So you mentioned the Cincinnati Museum Center. I, I know that's where you are now. Can you give us just a little bit of insight as to what your what your role there is and what you do there with them? Sure. Uh, my title is the George Revachol Curator of Archaeology. Uh, and if you're wondering who George Revachol is, he invented Benadryl. Uh, and uh, he endowed the curatorial position here. He was a, a fan of archaeology, among other things. Uh, so I... Um, oversee um, uh, on another employee who's a collections manager, and he is a tribal liaison person. He does our NAGPRA work, and NAGPRA is Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act. That's where we are working with our, our tribal partners. Uh, we have lots of interns and volunteers, so we're working on an exhibit um, that's going to open maybe in 2026. In the museum world, it takes three or four years and lots of money to build new exhibits. So it's going to be an indigenous people's gallery. That's not going to be its title, but that's our working title at the moment. Uh, so sometimes I write papers, uh, do sorts, all sorts of other stuff. I give a lot of talks. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's quite fun. I've been there 34 years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's been a long time. Goodness, I love that. This oh. has been invaluable. Um. <laughs> wow, I, I it's so crazy. So I I grew up here. Uh, I went to Little Miami, and then I actually had the pleasure of coming back and teaching. And so when I was, you know, we grew up hearing spooky stories about like I don't know, like superstitious stories about like uh, the school being built on uh, a Native American spiritual ground. But I always thought it was a bunch of hogwash. And now, like, you know, it's real. Yeah. I don't know. That's just, like, mind-blowing to me. Like, 
honestly. So cool. Yeah. Thank you so much. Sure. I would I would encourage you to look up Stubbs Earthworks online or look up the name Frank Cowan. He did a lot of the work with us as well. A lot of this stuff is under his name, C-O-W-A-N. Um, and you will find maps of the earthwork. Uh, the Whittlesey map is pretty easy to find, the 1839 map. Uh, and, you, you, and it has... Um, has the the road on it so it has 22 on it now whether it's in the exact same position i don't know it's just a, it's just like a trace where the road is mm -hmm. so it'll give you an idea where that earthwork actually is a lot of it was north of 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 22 but a lot of it was south as well where the high school is so um but i i think it's good for people to know that um the land that they are on the land that you're teaching on was once uh, um, native land and uh, also sacred land to them. I love that. Yeah, I would love to share that more with our students. It would be interesting if you came and visited just because, like Nick was saying, like it's very different, but also I think a lot of that historical background that you gave and, uh, you know, digging up and unearthing all that information, it's really not embedded in our school's history. It's clearly just shown as a ghost story. So. I think that you coming on this podcast it helps tremendously with educating all of our community members and all of our students too. Me, I love that. Yeah. So thank you so, so much. Sure. Well, invite me sometime and I'll come up. Yeah. It's a standing invite, my man. Whenever, whenever you feel like making the trek on out, Lauren okay. and I can, can make ourselves available. Right. Um, we have to get set to go teach the next generation. Mm -hmm. um, but Seriously, I really appreciate you hopping on with us and, and taking some time out of your day to to enlighten us on this stuff. This is this has been super, super cool. This is okay. awesome. my, my pleasure. Thank you.